Okay, Luke 19. Last week, Jesus is in Jericho, last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. Uh, this is coming up on the last week of his life. He's just got, he's got days at this point, uh, not even weeks left to live. And before he leaves Jericho and enters Jerusalem, he, he calls a timeout and he tells a parable. And that's what we're going to look at today. This parable is intended to uh, set context or to set expectations for his entry into Jerusalem. So this is about to be Passover week. Passover is one of the three festivals uh, every year that uh, Jews were required to return to Jerusalem to celebrate. Passover looks back to Exodus. It looks back to Moses' leading Israel out of slavery, God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. So that's the context. You've got thousands of people with Jesus moving towards Jerusalem, On their mind is Passover. They're thinking about uh, being delivered from slavery. And they have Jesus with them. And they're wondering, is is he the guy? Is he the new Moses? Is he the guy that's going to set us free from Roman oppression? And he's entering Jerusalem, the heart of our nation. What's going to happen? So there's a lot of excitement in the air. And I think there's some people who are just kind of waiting to see a train wreck. But either way, they're... They, they want to know what they, they feel. Something is something's happening here. There's something significant going on. And so Jesus tells a parable to help set their expectations. So we're going to start chapter 19, verse 11. While they were listening to this, so this is why the crowds are listening to Jesus talk to Zacchaeus. If you remember last week uh, when Jesus left Zacchaeus' house, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man Zacchaeus is the son of Abraham. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So as he's closing up that interaction with Zacchaeus, people are listening to him. To him, He went on to tell this parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So that's the purpose of this parable, to address those who think the kingdom is coming in the next day or so when he enters Jerusalem. Jesus said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But the subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. We're going to pause there. So uh, this parable, if you're listening to this, Jesus' first audience, this is familiar. The Roman Empire is far flung. And they would have these governors over some of these territories. But in order to be uh, that leadership to be ratified, you'd have to go to Rome because that's where power was centralized. So you'd go to Rome and they would, you know, say, yes, you can lead, you can rule in that area. Basically, as a governor, a kind of pseudo king underneath us. That was a common practice, and so that's what these guys are hearing. They're hearing about a man who's going to Rome. He already has some territory. He doesn't have authority. He's going to have this authority affirmed and confirmed by Rome. And there are people in his area who don't like him. So this is a noble man. He's a man in leadership already. There are people who don't like him. And so they go to talk to this Roman leader and say, we don't want him to be our king. And there's a long gap in between when this guy goes And when he returns and what he says to 10 of his servants, he gives them each a mina. A mina is about three months salary. So you can calculate that for yourself, uh, whatever your salary is about divide by four, three months salary. And that's what he gives them. And he says, my expectation is that while I'm gone, you're going to put this money to use. Expectations are very clear. While I'm gone, I'm giving you some of my property. 
I'm giving you complete control over it, and you have a responsibility to make more money. You have a responsibility to use this money to, to produce fruit, to, make, to invest. Some, I want a return when I come back. That's what it, put this money to work is what he says to them. And so then he returns. The takeaway from us, for us, looking at that first part of this parable, if we step back and say, what's Jesus trying to communicate? Jesus is the king, and he's gone away. He's absent, kind of in quotes. He's not physically present with us right now. And during his absence, his expectation is that uh, he w- we will use the gifts that he's given us, whatever those gifts happen to be, we will use those gifts to his glory and to advance his purposes. He's very clear. I've given y'all things, and I expect you to use those things to extend my, Jesus's, kingdom. So those are the expectations while Jesus is absent. Verse 15, we'll pick up there. Then this king, so now the king has come back. He sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. He answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant said and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put back my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mine away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So the first part of that section is all about what are, what are we supposed to do while the king is gone. That's where we live now. The king is quote unquote gone and what are we supposed to do? Expectations is that we're going to use the things that he's given us to his glory. And then we, now the second part of the parable is what happens when the king comes back. So that's the second coming we've talked about for the past three weeks. What happens when the king arrives again? So that's for us, that's Jesus on the white horse. When it, when, whenever that happens, what is going to happen? That's what the second part of this parable is about, and it's a time of judgment. Don't hear that necessarily negatively, but a, a time of evaluation maybe. How about that? This is the time of evaluation of seeing, let's see what happened while I was gone. Let's see how y'all did. And so he calls forward three of the ten servants that are just representative. How did y'all do while I was gone? And the first guy says, I did great. A thousand percent return. You gave me $15,000 and here's $150,000 back. Tenfold return. And the, the king says to him, that's excellent. Here are ten cities that you can be in charge of. The next guy says, you gave me $15,000 and here's 75000 back. Five-fold return, 500%. He says, good, you can have five cities. Then the third servant comes and says, I didn't do anything. You gave me $15,000 and I stuck it under my mattress because you're wicked. You're a bad king. I didn't trust you. You're a hard man. We all know you're a hard man. I was scared. And so here's your $15,000 back. And the king says... If that's what you think, you thought that about me, well, 
then why did you just stick the money under a mattress? Takes it away and gives it to the guy who made $150,000. And then all the servants of the kingdom, everyone who had opposed him, comes forward for judgment. That's what happens when Jesus returns. We're for him or against him. People who are against him will be judged accordingly. And he rewards us based on our faithfulness to him. So let me break this down. I want you to notice a couple of things. First, the king is generous. So $150,000 is a lot of money. But it's nothing compared to the wealth of ten cities at all. Not even close. So that first guy did great. But the reward for him doing great is is exponentially larger than what he's bringing back to the king. I'm bringing you a tenfold increase. Again, let's think if if, if a mina for us is three months salary, if, if it's $15,000, you're getting back $150,000, king. Excellent. Now think about ten cities and the wealth associated with those and the responsibility of leading those. Disproportionately gracious response. We see the same thing with the guy who brings back a 500% return. $75,000. Again, a lot of money. Nothing compared to five cities. And so the first thing I want you to see is the king is very generous. The second thing is the king is evaluating or judging based on people's faithfulness. That's what he's looking at. There's two parables that are very similar. One's in Matthew 25 and this one in Luke 19. The one in Matthew 25 is called the parable of the talents. This one is called the parable of the minas. They're not the same, but they teach the same principle. And the idea is that Jesus has given all of us gifts, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, what those gifts are. And the expectation is that we will put those, those gifts to work for his glory for however long our life is, until we die or he returns, and then he will reward us based on our faithfulness. He will reward us based on our faithfulness with what he has given to us. Now, this parable of the minas, what it shows, everybody's given the same thing. All all ten of the servants, each one of them gets one mina. They all start with the same thing. But we can see they bring their different results percentage-wise. In reality and percentage, actually and in percentages, the, the results are different. And then the rewards are different. One guy gets ten, one guy gets five. Even the master's uh, words to one, what does he say to the guy who gets ten? Well done. He doesn't necessarily say that to the guy who got five. He doesn't say well done. He just says, here's here's five cities that you're going to be in charge of. And then again, you got the guy who doesn't bring anything back. The difference in result is based on their faithfulness. Because they all are given the same thing to start with, they all have the same opportunity. Every one of those guys could have given back a tenfold Increase. Every one of those guys could have brought back a thousand percent return. That's what that parable teaches us. Remember, parables are made up stories. So don't start getting into all the nuances. The truth is, according to the king, everybody could have given back a thousand percent response. There are different rewards, but that difference is based on their faithfulness. The talents are different. Three guys are given three different amounts of money, and they're given huge amounts of money. A talent is way more than a mina. A mina is a 60th of a talent, I think. So these guys are given massive amounts of money. The guy who gave it to them is away for a long time, and he comes back and says, what did you do? And the first guy who's given five talents, five million dollars, says, here's ten. He doubled it. The second guy who was given two million dollars doubled it as well. Here's four million back. So 
their, their results are different in terms of dollars, but the same in terms of percentage. They both doubled what they were given, and they get the exact same reward. If you go and read in Matthew, the guy that doubles five and the guy that doubles two, the, it's, it's a verbatim exchange between them and their king. Well done, enter into your master's happiness. That's what he says to both of them. They get the exact same reward, even though one guy gives them $10 million and one guy gives them $4 million. Because he's not rewarding result, he's rewarding faithfulness. Both of them doubled what they had. The difference was they, one guy started with more than the other. And the same thing happens with the guy who has one who doesn't do anything. It's taken away from him. What I want you to see is that Jesus, as the king, he's, he rewards us for our faithfulness with what we do, with what he's given us while he's gone. He doesn't reward results. Don't get performance-oriented on me. Don't start looking around and going, are they doing better than me? I don't know how much you've been given. One, two, or five. I don't, I don't know. All, what he wants to know is, what are you doing with what you have? Don't worry about anybody else. That's the, both of these parables teach the same thing. He's rewarding faithfulness. He's not rewarding results. If you can hear the difference between that. Or if you like the word stewardship, you can say he's rewarding stewardship. I like faithfulness better, but if that word clicks with you more, then you can use it. What's common, another common denominator in both of those parables, the last guy, the guy who doesn't do anything, blames the master. And sometimes we hear that, people blaming God. Master, you're cruel, you're mean, you take out what you didn't put in. It's not true. We've seen the master's character. He gives lavishly to those guys that served him well. That doesn't look like the kind, the guy who gives 10 cities in exchange for $150,000 doesn't seem like the guy who this third servant is talking about. But even if that is who he's talking about, the guy says, well, if that's what you thought about me, then why in the world would you stick your money under a mattress? You think that's going to make me happy? If I'm this cruel and evil driving tyrant who always wants more, 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 then what in the world makes you think I'm going to be okay? With you giving me back what I gave you. It's an excuse. He's blaming the character of the master for his own irresponsibility. He's blaming the master for his own inability or unwillingness. This is probably really what he gets down to. His unwillingness to do anything with what he's been given. In Matthew, he's called a wicked and lazy servant. He doesn't do anything. And then he says it's the master's fault. And the master doesn't have anything. He doesn't have it. Take away from him and give it to this guy who does well. So that's this parable, the takeaways for us you see there. First, Jesus is absent, quote-unquote, right now. He's given us gifts. His expectation is that we're going to use those gifts to his glory, to advance his agenda, to advance his kingdom. And the second thing is he will judge us based on our faithfulness of what he's given to us. And I don't want you to hear that as pressure to perform. I want you to hear that as an invitation to get involved. What he's looking for, what it, it's, it's him saying, I trust you so much, I'm going to give you these good gifts. And I have expectations that you're going to use them, which means I think you can. He said, like, you've got it. You have what it takes to invest this stuff. I don't want you to hear there's this huge bar. How in the world am I going to do a thousand percent increase? So don't think like that. Pull the truth out of the parable. He's given you resources. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you opportunities. He's given you relationships. And what he wants to know is, what are you doing with those things? Not coming down on you at all. Just saying, hey, let's see. What did you do with those things? And don't think about results. He doesn't care. 
What he was looking for is faithfulness. As much as it depends on you, Paul says in Romans, live at peace with others. And I think that's kind of an idea for us. As much as it depends on you, are you being faithful with what God has given to you? You You can't control all these results out here. So I don't want you getting stressed out about that. I want you thinking about your responsibility, the choices that you can make, and with a good conscience before the Lord, can you say, yeah, I'm doing the best I can with what you've given to me. I think it's Mark 12 where Mary comes and anoints Jesus with oil, breaks a bottle of uh, perfume, breaks a bottle of perfume on his feet, and some of the disciples are flipping out because it's worth so much money, and Jesus says she did what she could, and he, he honors her for doing what she could do. He's looking for that. That's what he's looking for for, from you. What can you do? So, again, don't hear this as pressure to go out and make stuff happen. I don't want you creating a spreadsheet trying to figure out what the return is on what have you doubled what you've been given. Don't think like that. The truth is responsibility. Are you being faithful? Are you being a good steward with what God has given you? Now, I want to look particularly. God's given us tons of stuff, and we're going to look particularly at five gifts That God has given to each of us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I believe all five of these gifts are in you. But what we're going to do is today we're going to focus on just one, maybe two, that are primary, secondary gifts that kind of rise to the surface. They're called apest gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then I believe these things are in you. And again, one or two of them will be dominant, will kind of rise to the surface and the, this is all taken from Ephesians 4. So let me read this to you. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So did you hear that? To each one of us. So if you're part of each one of us, and you are, then grace has been given to you. So everybody who's following Jesus, grace has been given to you. And now I'm gonna, Paul's going to tell us what the expressions of that grace are. Skip down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So we're going to use the word shepherd instead of pastor. When people hear pastor, they think of someone like me who gets paid. I want you to hear shepherd. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why did he give those? To equip his people for works of service. Why is that important? So that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what I want you to hear there, if you're following Jesus, then he has apportioned grace to you. And the expression of that grace is one of those five gifts. Again, I I think everybody has all five of them because Jesus is the full embodiment of those five gifts. And he lives within us by his Holy Spirit. But for our purposes, we're going to say there's just, let's just think about one or maybe two of those gifts that are dominant in you. Those are the ones that he's given to you. Why has he given those gifts to you? In order to help build up the rest of us. So it doesn't say he's given professional ministers for the building up of the body. It says he's given these five gifts and everyone who's following him is one of those five gifts. In Ephesians 4, the gifts are people. They're not, sometimes uh, there are other spiritual gifts, gift lists. Talk about the gift of miracles or the gift of prophecy. And we can kind of think of gifts as a thing, like something under a tree. True. Here in Ephesians, gifts are people. 
He's given these five people, these five roles to the church. Why? To build the church up, to equip the church. So we're equipping each other for works of service. Why do we care? So that the body of Christ can be matured. Really important. A lot of the problems that we have with Big C Church are rooted in the fact that we're immature as a Big C Church. And here is the Jesus's remedy, solution to that. I've given these five roles, and if they're all functioning, if they're all in the mix, then the body of Christ will be built up. Will be, will be, people will be equipped to do their deal, figure out their calling and do it, and the body as a whole will be mature. Super important. If you're following Jesus, you're included in this. Nobody is omitted. Nobody's on the sidelines. Everybody's been given one of these. Everybody is one of these gifts. Again, I would say one, maybe two of these things are dominant in all of our lives. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to, you can skip that. We're going to um, move through these, and I want you to hear big picture overview. This is important. If you were at the family dinner a few weeks ago, we said we're shifting our leadership from towards this APEST model. If you weren't at the family dinner, I need you to go listen to that. It's an hour long, but the first fi- most of that's question and answer. About 15 minutes at the beginning will give you the, the whys and the hows and the whats behind why we're transitioning leadership. But this is important for us as a church collectively, and it's also important for you personally. So as we walk through these five, I want you thinking, which one feels like me? Which one of these can I fit? So the first is apostle. Don't think Peter, James, and John. You're not one of those, and nobody else is either. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about people who are in the original 12. Those guys were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. None of us are. So that's not the category that I'm talking about. The word apostle means sent one. The best kind of modern-day equivalent we may have professionally in the spiritual world is a missionary. They're sent ones. That's that idea. But you don't have to be someone who picks up and moves to another country to have this bent to you. People who go first. People who are pioneers. Now, all of this is under the umbrella of kingdom advancement. Remember, the king is gone, and he says, what are you doing with what I've given you? Are you, are you extending my kingdom? Are you accomplishing my agenda? Are you fulfilling my purposes? So everything's under the umbrella of Jesus' of Jesus's name being glorified, not ours. But I do think there are people who we would say are entrepreneurial, who are not Christians, and some of those characteristics are the same. For someone who's an apostle and someone who's an entrepreneur. Because you're an entrepreneur does not mean that you're apostolic. It, but there are, it, it could be. There are some commonalities there. In our church, somebody who you may know, I'd say, is a great example is Liz Walker. In her, she doesn't have an official role. She doesn't have an official platform. She really doesn't even like talking in front of people. But if you look at her track record, she started multiple things during her Five or six years here. She started Park Street Soccer. She started doing feeding during Christmas Eve and Thanksgiving for Park Street families. She opened up a new mission field in Nicaragua. All of that without an official position. That's apostolic. It's this idea of saying, I'm willing to go first. I'm willing to break new ground. I'm willing to lay a foundation that other people can build on. Now, all of these have an immaturity side. And often for us, we can see that better than we can see those key characteristics. 
most of us are aware of our own flaws. And when you look at that immaturity, that may help you say, hey, yeah, that really is me. The next one is prophet. When we hear prophet, sometimes we think somebody who's predicting the future. Not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who hears God. Bo is a prophet, That's, or is prophetic. Kim is. Brandon, who shared earlier. All, I would say all of those guys fall under that umbrella. That's their primary bent. So if I say, what is Brandon's gift to the body? He's a prophet. Doesn't mean that he's predicting the future, but he does these things. I remember the first time he and I go out to lunch. We've gone out to lunch every week for probably... 15 years, and I remember when we started, and I would say, how was your weekend? And he would say it was a 7 out of 10. And I would think, who puts a number? Like, who does that? And I went home and talked to Misty. and was like, he evaluates everything. Everything's on a scale. I don't know if he's evaluating our lunches on a scale. But that's kind of that profit thing. There's a, there's a standard. And let's see how things measure up. He talks a lot about, if you, if you talk a lot about fair, that might mean that you're prophetically oriented. That's another way of talking about justice. If it burns you up when things aren't fair. Like that's not, that's not everybody. That's you. That's part of what it means to have this prophetic bent. Is everything is black and white and justice matters. And when, ju- when there is injustice, it's wrong and something needs to be done about it. And I'm not just going to let it go. I'm not on Facebook, but I think you can probably find the prophetic guys on Facebook in the comments. They're really long. So that may be you, if that's you. And you can see some of the immaturity as well. Evangelists. Those first two, I think, are the hardest ones for us to get our minds around. The rest of these we have more categories for. So an evangelist is a recruiter. We may this, Don't hear this negatively. It's a salesman. Pulls people in, gets people on board. Great at, stereotypically, prophets are introverts and evangelists are extroverts. Not all the time, but those are stereotypes. People, people. Get energized being around people. Everybody always knows what the, their thing is. You know what restaurant they went to because they're trying to get you to come the next time they go. You know what their favorite movie is because they're trying to get you to see it. That bent that says, I've got good news. Hopefully it's Jesus, but sometimes it's other things. I'm just going to tell you what's going on and what's good in my life, and I want you to be a part of it. That may be you. Pastor or shepherd is better. Let's see the next one, please. So a shepherd, you have a sense of these people as well. Love people. So evangelists love people too. Evangelists are, it's, it's broader Shepherds are deeper with a few. Most pe- there, there are more shepherds than there are anything else because we need more than anything else. Most people can handle, in terms of shepherding, probably 70 to 100. That's kind of the, the, the limit there. So if you think about the number of people who are following Jesus and divide it by 100, it's how many shepherds you need to adequately take care of everybody. They don't forget people's names. They know what's going on in people's lives. They love being interrupted to sit down and have a long conversation with somebody. To them, that's not an interruption. That's life. That's what they're here for. That may be you. If you spend a lot of time, if you're the, the friend in your group that keeps the group together, if you're the, the, the hub and everything kind of runs through you and you know what's going on with everybody else, 
then you may be a shepherd. That may be the way God has gifted you to build up the body is by taking care of people, noticing. Do you notice when people aren't around and wonder, why aren't they here? I wonder what's going on. And not just wonder, but then you follow up. Hey, what's been happening with you? Just curious. Is that, if that's you, then shepherd may be your thing. Last, teacher. Again, you have a sense of what this is. Penny is a great example who works with our children. She oozes this in everything that she does. She writes all of her own curriculum for three-year-olds up through fifth grade. She can't buy it. She, she can't. She has to write it on her own. She has this thing, these things in her that she wants to get out to our kids in a way that they understand. So being a teacher is not about being smart necessarily. It's about saying, I want you to get it. And if that's you, you want other people to have that aha moment. You want other people to get it, whatever it is. People come to you and say, hey, can you help me with this? You may be a teacher. You have a knack for explaining things. You think, oh, anybody can do this. They can't. Michael Jordan was one of the best basketball players ever and was a terrible coach. He didn't know how to tell people to do what he did. He's not a teacher. It's a gift. So very well could be that you do this profession. This is a profession. But just because someone's in that profession doesn't mean that they're gifted to teach. And just because you're not in that profession doesn't mean that you're not. So I want you to hear that, again, a spiritual gift, not just as profession. Or do you want to stand up in front of people and do a lecture? Don't hear, do I like standing up in front of people and doing a lecture? Hear, do I like helping people get it? And that may be very informal. It may be one-on-one, one-on-three, that type. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to love standing behind a podium. So those five, everybody is one of those five. We went through them pretty quickly. If you want more information, there's a book. Scott will throw it up there where it's great. There's tons of information on this. This is an easy book to read if you want to um, grab onto this at a deeper level. If you don't want to read the book, uh, Teacher is my secondary one, so I've already read it and summarized it for you. So you can email me, and I'll send you the notes that uh, break it down. If you're interested in diving in, if you didn't know initially which one of these things is me, um, then maybe you can grab it if you look at my notes or if you read that book. And there's actually a pretty good online assessment that you can take. I think it's $10. Then that thing will help you kind of figure out as well. It's on a website called uh, theforgottenways.org. So... Blah, blah, blah. Here's what I want you doing walking away. Recognizing you're in this period of absence. We're in this period where the king is quote unquote gone. And he's given all of us gifts. And we can talk about money and opportunities and natural strengths and spiritual gifts and relationships. We can talk, and all of those things fit under what Jesus has given to us. I want you this morning thinking specifically of these five things. Jesus has wired you in a certain way. He's put something in you that we all need. And if you're not operating in that giftedness, it's not just hurting you, it's hurting us. If the body of Christ can't be built up except through these guys, then if you're not, and I'm not talking about a position, but if you're not actively pursuing people according to the way you're bent... If you're not looking to help equip and build up the body, think individuals there, then we're not growing to maturity. Don't, again, don't hear that as pressure. Hear that as an invitation. There's all kinds of things, ways Jesus could work, and what he's chosen to do is work through us for better or for worse. 
We talk all the time about doing your deal, and that can seem so big and so nebulous because the possibilities are endless. Well, I'm, there, I'm giving you five now. They're not endless. You're, you're one of those five. If none of them fit you, then you're not seeing yourself well, honestly. And you need to ask somebody who knows you well and say, what do you see in me? Because you're, if you're following Jesus, he's, you're one of those five things. To each one of us, grace has been given. So we're going to close with two things. One is I want you to try to, to, to discern before the Lord, which of those five things am I? Do I feel more apt? And don't worry, none is better than the other. They're all given by Jesus to us. They're all, everything's level. Leadership in the kingdom is service. This is not about lording over but at all, but about building others up. So don't hear greater or less. So do you lean more apostolic? prophetic, evangelistic, shepherding, didactic teaching? Which one of those do you lean towards? And the second thing I want you to do, if you're on the, um, underneath y'all, Steve's side and Mary Davidson's side and Brandon's side, there are these cards. You don't necessarily have to take one, but we are moving in this direction of reforming our leadership team. And the first step in that process is to get nominations from the body for people to move into that leadership team. Now, you may not be ready for this. If you haven't listened to the family dinner talk, then I would encourage you not to fill out a card yet. We're going to have several weeks to do it. But if you have, and you just listen to me, you may be thinking of people looking around the church and saying, man, that guy or that girl, I see this in them. So what we're looking for in leadership here, real quickly as we close... We're creating this new structure that's composed of two teams, staff and volunteers. The only difference is who gets paid. Um, And the volunteers, you can see the two primary responsibilities there. Help set spiritual atmosphere and invest in others. So that's building up the body of Christ. So what we want together is to hear what God is saying to us and then help one another become the people that God has called and created us to be. And so what we're looking for are people on the right side, those volunteer people, people who you would look at and say, yeah, I want that guy, I want that girl. I trust them spiritually. I trust that they hear the Lord. I trust that they have good things to give to other people. So I'm not asking who you think is a good business person. I'm not asking who you think is a good mom. I'm asking who do you see these gifts in? And when you look at them, you say, yeah, they've got stuff to give. So here's some things that you can think about. On that little card, if Stonebridge is your home church, then you can, I don't care how long you've been here, if you consider Stonebridge your family and you're in ninth grade or up, then you can write names on that card. So you're going to write your own name on that card and then you can write up to three other names on that card. You can't write your own name and you can't write the name of anybody you're related to. But other than that, you can write names down. Men and women are fine. Either one are fine. This is a... If you look through the New Testament, all of these gifts, we see these gifts operating in both men and women. And so we're not, we don't need to exclude there. I don't care about age. If you think there's a 15-year-old who has a lot of spiritual maturity and you're like, I want them on the wall, then you can put their name down and we'll work through that. Just because someone is nominated doesn't mean they'll be selected. You can flip, please. And these are the things I want you thinking about when, you thinking, when you're thinking about the people. Character, do they look like Jesus? That's broad. Do you see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life? So again, do you see love? Do you see joy? Do you see 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do those things mark that man or that woman? Calling. Which of these five gifts do you see in them? If you don't see one, don't write their name down. So I want you to say, man, when I look at that guy, he takes care of people. And so I'm writing shepherd down. When I look at that guy, I think he hears the Lord. I'm writing prophet down. That guy is great at helping people understand. I'm writing teacher down. So that's what we want. We're trying to create a team of people that represent all five of those voices. We need, to, we need all of them in leadership or we're going to get deformed. If we only have two, if we only have four, we're going to be deformed. And so we need all five of those roles and voices in leadership. Chemistry, please don't pick a jerk. Are they easy to work with? If you don't want to be in the room with them, don't put me in the room with them. That's not nice. Are they servant-oriented? Leadership in the kingdom is how low can you go. If they're power-hungry, if they like to lord over people, if they throw around titles and they throw their... Then don't write their name down. That probably fits under they don't look a lot like Jesus, but I want to be clear. We want people who are easy to work with, people who recognize... Jesus said the greatest is the one who serves. That's what leadership looks like. It looks like serving. So people who, when you think of them, you're like, that. yes. I see them as a servant-hearted individual. So those are, and, and you don't need to write any names down today. But you can if you want. So there's two ways that we're going to respond today. One, everybody, I want you taking a minute and asking the Lord, which one of these which one of these fits? We're not trying to pigeonhole you. I'm not try, I'm not, we're not going to give you a name tag or a badge. You're not going to have different colored shirts for whatever gift you are. We're not doing that. But you need to know because you're a gift to the body. And you need to know how that functions. You need to, I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else, you are a gift to the body. And you need to know what gift you are. Because that's how God wants to use you. That's one of the things that, don't hear this as pressure, but invitation. One of the things he's going to say is, what did you do with that prophetic wiring that I gave to you? Did you do anything with it during my absence? You can't, you're not responsible for results, but did you steward it? Did you try to help other people who you saw who were similar, similarly wired, who were younger in their faith than you? Did you bring somebody along? Were you willing, when it came time to make a decision, to say, hey, here's what, I'm, here's what I think the Lord is saying, even if it was maybe a little bit different from what other people were saying? That's part of what prophets do. They're willing to stand up and even stand alone at times. He's going to ask you, hey, you're, I, I gifted you as a shepherd. Who did you take care of? Let's hear about it. Who were you loving on during your time? It's great that you were loving on your family. Anybody else, were you taking care of anybody? When that name flashed across your mind, did you actually reach out to them? Because not everybody has names flashed across their mind. That's unique to you as a shepherd. One of the things about these gifts, because you're not in anybody else's skin, you don't realize what's unique about you. You think, oh, everybody's this way. They're not. Everybody's not that way. You're that way. And that's kind of where this stewardship thing comes into play. Am I being responsible with the way God's made me to be? So that's the first thing for everybody. I want you to have a sense. Again, not so you can wear a name tag, 
but so that you'll know, hey, this is, my, this is the way I help mature the body of Christ. Here's my way of helping build up the body for works of service. And then we can talk about what are the, what are the ways that plays out. Do you need a formal role leading a small group or working with our kids? Do you need a formal role on a ministry team up here? We can talk about that, but it may not be that at all. But if you know, then it will definitely help you be led by the Spirit. And the second thing is, I want you to begin to pray and ask the Lord, who are the, who are, is there one or two or three people who when you look around this congregation, you say, you know what? I think that guy or that girl needs to be in the room. I, need, I think that person, I see them as someone who's mature in their gifts and is in a position to give to others. And so I wanna, I'm going to write their name down. And that's all you have to do. You don't need to go talk to them. We'll go talk to them. If you, if, if you don't know if they've been here for a year, don't worry about it. We'll find that out. So we'll run everything. You don't need to ask their permission. You can just write their name down and we'll ask their permission. And that kind of takes you, kind of gets, eliminates that awkward conversation that you may have to have with someone who you might not even know that well, but you see that in. And so we'll have that conversation with them, and we'll explain to everybody, here are the ins and outs, and here's the time commitment. You don't need to worry about any of that. What I need to hear from you, and what I want to hear from you over the next couple of weeks, is who do you see as that as spiritual leadership here uh, at Stonebridge? So um, we're going to pray. Bo is going to come back. I ran a little long, I'm sorry, so. If y'all give me two extra minutes. First thing, I just want to pray this. God, I pray that you would begin to reveal. This isn't about you putting things in us because you've already given it to us. It's about you uncovering what's already there. And so I pray for every man and woman all the way down. I know to our students who are in the room, our high schoolers. Would you begin to uncover who we are, how you've wired us, not with any sense of ego or arrogance, but so that in humility we can embrace this gift that we are to the body. The Lord may be speaking to you, showing you some things. Grab onto that. Jesus, we recognize you're the head of this church. You're the head of this body. And so my prayer as the man at the top of the organizational chart is that you, Jesus, as the head, as the true head, would begin to deploy and encourage and form and shape all of these men and women into the right spot. That our apostles would be able to run fast. They'd be bold in kicking down doors and laying foundation that our prophets would have ears that are sensitive to what you're saying and be willing to speak up in truth and love. That our evangelist God would, would see people and would be bold in their willingness to communicate the truth of the gospel. That our shepherds would notice and love people well and pull people in, take initiative to care for and support. That our teachers would teach in both formal and informal settings. 
not just information, but helping people get it, leading to transformation. We want all of these gifts operating. And I want everybody, God, and you do. It's the way you set it up. You want all of us stretching those muscles, exercising our giftedness. Again, not to our glory, but to yours. And God, looking at the leadership for this church, it's been wonderful for the first eight years. And I think it's just going to get better. And so I pray that you would highlight not because they're better than anybody else, but just because it's their time and you've called them. You would highlight 12 or 15 or 18, whatever the number is. You would highlight men and women in this congregation who you're saying, now's your, now's your time to move into this role of leadership, of discerning the voice of God for our church and investing in the men and women who attend here. So God, I pray there be common sense of that among us as a people that you would through this nomination process it would be clear who you've got your finger on we just follow the leading of your spirit in that in Jesus name